0: Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with me, Dominic Archer and David Bryan. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dom. Well, oh, that was that was very jovial. I'm glad we were in such a good mood today. Uh, let's get straight. Let's get straight to it. We are the uh, the only podcast in the entire world that I know of that tries to predict World Cup results based. Partly on the quality of football that the team plays, I guess that's important in the World Cup, but also on the political turmoil and strife and excitement that makes this such an amazing sporting event in the first place. So in the previous episode, we spoke about Group A, we spoke about Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Uruguay. Which uh, they still haven't played yet at the time of recording, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how those matches play out later on today. But today we're going straight on to Group B.
1: Dave, who are the teams in Group B? Uh, group B will consist of Portugal, Spain, Morocco, and Iran. Now this
0: is footballing wise, I'm I'm going to guess a much more interesting group than than Group A, right?
1: Um, I'd say so. I think we're we're going to see more exciting football and probably a lot more goals.
0: Well, we we certainly hope so. I, especially uh, the most important match, at least f- from my perspective here, is the the Portugal Spain match, which is well the, the the first match of the group, um, and I'm this has got to be one of the deciders, right? Like either we've got to assume that Spain or Portugal are going to be topping the group. And it's got to be whoever wins this one, right?
1: You'd think so, yeah. I mean, this is the sort of tie that um, you like to see in the group because it gets the tournament off to an exciting start. But then you can also imagine this would be a great tie to see later on in the tournament, in the knockout stages. Mm. Portugal versus Spain, both massive footballing nations. Portugal just coming off of the Euro 16 win, which took a lot of people by surprise. And Spain obviously having been a behemoth of of world football in in recent times, winning Euro two thousand and eight and Euro twenty twelve, and sandwiching in between the sandwich in between that is their World Cup win in twenty ten. So yeah, it's uh, a veritable uh, cavalcade of world class talent. So as you're saying, there Spain have been
0: pretty dominant internationally for for a while. Portugal, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know they they won they won the last Euros, but I'm never going to forgive. Cristiano Ronaldo for winking at Wayne Rooney. I know, it, I know it's years ago. I, I'm not going to get over it. But I, personally, I would have thought that Spain were the favourites heading into this until moments ago Spain announces that uh, two days before
1: the tournament begins, they're sacking their manager. Uh, unbelievable. I, uh, it, it stunned me. I didn't, when you, when you, you were the one who broke this news to me actually, and I didn't believe you. I immediately, (laughs) I was sat, I was sat in the car park outside Pets at Home with my mum. And I I turned on my data and I went straight to the, to a a reputable source for football news. Uh, And am I not a reputable source for footballing news? Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I had, to, I had to back you up. I always look for sources, Dom, you know oh, that. That's good, I respect that. Well, this couldn't have been a more dramatic start to a World Cup, especially considering it's one that's going to be in Russia. And if any um, world-breaking news is going to come out of a <laughs> major sporting event in Russia before the actual sport itself begins... I suppose you're, you may have been forgiven for expecting something a lot more horrible <laughs> no <laughs> but, one's been me, assassinated yet so that's no a bonus no one's been assassinated that we're aware of <laughs> um, and there haven't there's no yet no reports that i've seen yet of um russian ultras clashing with english football hooligans and starting the next world war but that could still be <laughs> to come but in terms of football no one could have no one could have seen this coming but it seems the person who didn't see it coming the most is uh, chairman of the Spanish FA, Luis Rubiales, um, having come out and said that he found out about uh, the Spanish managers. I'm going to try and pronounce his name. I know I was practicing this with you earlier, but I'm, always, I'm terrible at this. Uh, Julian Lopetegui. Oh, that was That's, good. That was Okay. That was alright. But um, yeah, Julian Lopetegui was announced just moments before uh, maybe it was the day before that he was going to replace Zinedine Zidane as the Real Madrid manager having having left after the previous season. Um, But yes, the chairman of the Spanish FA, Rubiales, claimed that he didn't know about this, didn't even know that um, Lopetegui was in talks with Real Madrid until five minutes before Real Madrid announced the news that they had appointed him as their next manager. So from From the point of view of uh, breaking news, if you're the chairman of the Spanish FA, you don't want to be finding this out at the same time as the public are.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. But do you think... I mean, so what happens is... Is he... Real Madrid announce it. And then it seems to be a near instant decision by the Spanish FA. They don't take a couple of days to ponder it. They don't think... Oh, well, you know, it's the World Cup in two days. Uh why don't we remove him from his position afterwards?
1: Is, yeah, but presumably it, he was going to leave his position as a Spanish manager to take over at Real Madrid anyway. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's where the tension arose, is that it's basically like handing in your, your six weeks notice on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like announcing to the world that you're going to be leaving a job before you've told your employers that you're going to be leaving a job. Yeah,
0: that that makes sense. Yeah, but and, I mean,
1: I... it's interesting that the the chairman of the FA himself, Rubiales, he's only been in the in his job since May. He's he's brand new to his position. Right. So for him to come out to come one of his well, probably his first action as chairman of the FA to sack the national team manager in such dramatic and instant fashion, like you say, without any real time for for consideration is is bizarre especially considering lupetegi's record yeah like he's 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 been a very successful manager with the spanish team he's, since he was appointed in 2016 they have not lost a match it's and it's not d- like looking at, he's at their a results bit shaky to begin with
0: looking at their results recently earlier in march in march they they drew they drew one all with germany which uh, that's pretty remarkable. That's what you would expect from from two world champions. And then in the
1: follow-up match, the next match, they beat Argentina 6-1. 6-1. I mean, I know these warm-up games are technically friendlies, but no, they don't want to be lost. (laughs) Whoever's playing these games does not care if, if, uh, sorry, does care and does want to win these games. So to go out and demolish a team like Argentina with players that they have, that's a statement unbelievable that is incredible and what is really interesting
0: as you were saying uh, about the spanish fa you know he's he's only been in the job uh, for about a month if spain now lose or if they are embarrassed the way they were in previous in like the more recent tournaments that they've been in yeah
1: 2014 they went out and just in the group stages
0: yeah it was it was uh, unprecedented but if they have a repeat experience of that now coming off the back of these string of results they've just had beating Argentina 6-1 if they go out early on in this tournament the manager isn't the one getting the flack here right so who who took over as, uh, as manager now
1: um Former Real Madrid uh, centre-half Fernando Jueiro is, is taken temporary charge of the national team. He was um, director of football for the Spanish right. um, Football Federation. Um, he's in his second stint, actually. He did it for a little while before leaving in November 2017. Um, no, sorry, returned to the role in November 2017, having done the role previously. Um, and I think that's a pretty sensible um, appointment in such a last-minute um, such, such last action. Seeing that he is a very respected former player, he won great things um, for Real Madrid um, as a, their captain. And although he was part of a generation of Spanish international players that they did have something of a golden generation in the uh, in the '90s, but a bit a bit like Belgium have in the last few years, they've got these great stars, but they never could really produce as a team at, at major tournaments. And of course, maybe it's, um, you could say, well, I'm sure you could say that the the most recent generation of Spanish players are the golden generation who could mm. produce at great tournaments, but he's still a very well-liked man. And I think he, at the very least, if even if we're not quite sure what his tactical acumen is and how, um, I'm not sure he's had a professional managerial position um, before, but he can at least garner some, some kind of momentum, some respect and probably manage those players as people. It's just whether they can put together um, a system that works in such a short period of time. It is
0: kind of ridiculous. And I was uh, i was reading up on this a little bit earlier on because I didn't want to be outpaced by the World Cup footballing news uh, as it goes by. And it was interesting reading what different football analysts were saying. And a lot of them were saying, you know, if this was England, you're in trouble. If Gareth Southgate suddenly just left, everything that England has been working towards would it would be over the tournament would be finished but as you're saying about this idea of a a spanish golden generation um the spain team
1: sorry this spain team is still ridiculously strong it is yeah i mean they're they're maybe not as strong as they were uh, um when they were winning euros and world cups left front and center but they still have a massive amount of experience hmm. of players that were, were a part of that generation maybe they're towards the, the end of their career now but they're still world beating players and they have that experience that is is, is invaluable as well as having this great in, injection of youth and exuberance in players that are really making a name for themselves on the world yeah. stage. Isco and Asensio at Real Madrid particularly are dangerous players and not players that any country's defence are, are going to face. I mean, Even in goal where we looking at David De Gea, one
0: of the if not the best goalkeeper in the Premier League at the moment. then yeah, maybe de- the world, yes. In, in defence, the, the Spanish defence um, is so experienced to the point of maybe being a little too experienced. Um, but yeah, so- maybe
1: age, age will play a factor um, if they do yeah. progress later into the tournament. But, I mean, you can't argue. There's, I mean, there's no nation that wouldn't want any of that back line in their team.
0: No, we're looking at Sergio Ramos here with 152 caps. Gerard Pique is on 98 caps. He's about to hit his centenary as well. Sergio Biscuits. Uh, Sergio Biscuits. That's his name. Biscuits. biscuits. That is his name. That's,
1: I, I, I always call him Biscuits. I yeah. refuse really to call him his real name. That
0: is correct, though.
1: He is on <laughs> 103
0: caps. Iniesta, 127 caps. David Silva, 121 caps. We're talking 700 caps in five players like That's it, insane. It, it is ridiculous how experienced like the legends the titans of this team are and then as you're saying isco and even, uh, even in david costa is he's on 20 caps or rather he's a little a little bit older than everybody else but this Jacob is costa,
1: yeah yeah he, kind of, he i mean he's obviously a world class player but he kind of suffered uh, as being part of that generation where he was second fiddle to like Fernando Torres, for example, right, who, are diff- right. who are difficult to displace when he yeah, was at his prime. Understandably,
0: yeah. Okay, do you think that the this,
1: this Spanish team still stands a chance? What, what I'm thinking about in regards to that is the Spanish system. Obviously, they're, they're under uh, Vicente Del Bosque, who reti- uh, the only reason he's not the manager now is he retired, and that's why Lubertegui t- took him over in the 2016. But his system was the one that was coined Tiki Taka. A kind of very fast-paced, short passes, moving the ball around constantly, little triangles. And that's the system that won them two European Championships in the World Cup. Since Del, uh, Del Bosque has left, Lubertegui h- adapted that system. I wouldn't say he changed it dramatically, but he adapted it to include a bit of a higher pressing game. A kind of tactical system that is pretty successful in currently in European football. Liverpool were a great example of how that can be worked brilliantly with counter-attacking and pressing. Uh, the season just gone. And Spain have very much been doing that throughout, throughout qualification. Um, so with Hierro coming in just two days before the tournament, sensible money would be on him not trying to fiddle with that. It's the system that was implemented throughout qualification in which they did really well. And they, they, you know, responsibility and, um, but even the goals were shared out quite widely amongst the squad. I mean, I think in the qualification, five different players, uh, sorry, four different players scored five goals each. Right. Um, So, they have a good depth in their squad. So, if I was Fernando Jueiro, I would just be saying, um, I will pick the 11 who are fit and who did well in qualifying, and you guys just go play football. And you know, I'll stand on the touchline and point and pretend like I know what's going on (laughs) because, yeah, this is a this is probably a deeply embedded system with only a couple of minor changes that I'm sure the Spanish players could do with their eyes closed. Mm. I mean, what was great, what's what was so successful, I think, what made Spanish team so successful in this golden generation was that um, and a similar thing what happens in the German national team is that these this group of players, especially that golden generation, they have been a playing together on a national level since they were schoolboys. They all progress at the same time from under seventeens to under twenty ones to the first team. so the kind of problems we see with England, for example, where um, these players are all coming together having barely knowing each other and the squad changes every time there's international call ups. The Spanish team have been basically been like a club um, since they were boys for twenty uh, for fifteen years, ten years or so. So they have this this mesh, this uh, respo- uh, this relationship that can't really be can't really be garnered and over a short period of time. It takes a couple of decades for that to really implement itself. And it's as we've seen with them man with Germany too that it's invaluable. You have a, a tightly knit group of players like that, and anything can be done if you've got the talent which undoubtedly Spain have, have had and do still have
0: that was one thing that I thought was really interesting looking up some uh, exciting statistics and percentages was oh, I that like statistics oh i think get ready because this is a roller coaster ride i was oh, looking boy. i was looking at uh homegrown players that play in uh, in the top flight league right so the, by the percentage, how many foreign players play in, in, uh, in each league, right? Okay. And you look, you look at the Premier League. The Premier League in, in England is 64% foreign players, right? Which, right. when the, the vast majority of your league is foreign players, your national team is going to suffer from that because not only yeah, are, are your country's players not in the top flight but also they're spread out. One would assume across multiple teams, which means you don't yes, have so. a situation with such as um, with with Spain, where you know Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona have, all, all, so many incredible players that uh, it's kind of ridiculous. But the Premier League is at 64% foreign, whereas La Liga is 42% foreign, which means it is well 58%. Spanish players,
1: yeah, over half. I mean, that's. I think that's probably how it should be. Um, but all you can really say to that, because I'm sure those those numbers even probably go even uh, lower in terms of number of the percentage of foreign players with other major leagues around uh, around Europe, with the Bundesliga and League O in France. I'm sure. You know, actually, the the, Bundes- the Bundesliga, players. the Bundesliga is exactly
0: in the middle. There is between La Liga is the lowest. La Liga has the. the oh, mo- is it really? It is, yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. I thought the Bundesliga would At be least. lower, but but actually, it's directly in the middle on fifty three percent. The only leagues that are close to La Liga is the Swiss. Oh no, the Swiss isn't even close. The Malta Premier League is the closest. Really, oh, we, we, the the Malta for, like the the Liga is is incredibly far ahead uh, on this, which is strange when you think how you know Barcelona is made up of of, of you know your Messi's and 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 old Neymar just go to PSG a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, you know, but, you know Suarez
1: another yeah, yeah world class. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, widely based players, home, not homegrown.
0: Yeah. yeah. It just goes to show it. You have a strong, a strong national league like that. There is, as you're saying, a unity that that is built up uh, over your national team, which is exactly what you need when your manager is fired two days before.
1: Uh, yeah, you need a group of players who all know each other's roles and each other's jobs, and yeah, can basically it'd be. I mean, if Spain, like you said, if if there is an embarrassment, Spain can't gel and they go out in the group stage or in the second round then that obviously that's going to fall back on the football federation and not necessarily on the players or the the interim manager but mm. if they can go really far how i mean the headlines are going to be spain reach whatever stage with basically with no manager they could they just the players just did it on their own yeah i think it's just to go back to what you were saying about um, the percentage of foreign players in the premier league versus la liga and, and other leagues to be devil's advocate for a moment the argument against that always is that, or at least with how much uh, how High the percentage of foreign players is in the Premier League, is that the Premier League is the most competitive league in Europe? It's I mean I should maybe I should say arguably, but it seems um, if you if you watch European football, that has to be considered to be the case. If you when you look at um, leagues like Bundesliga and La Liga and League, those are leagues that consistently are are the title is fought between two or three teams at the most, under the same two or three teams every year, maybe. If you, if you branched out to the top five, the, the the bottom two or three can shift and change. But the top two or three are always the top two or three. Whereas in the Premier League, it's a, there's obviously a lot more money involved and players come from all over the world. But we've seen from a dominant era in the 90s and early 2000s where Man United were winning everything, then Arsenal started to win a few. And then Chelsea started to win a few. Then Man City have started to win a few. And it keeps it's so fluctuant because... All These talent that's brought from all over the world to as the Premier League is designed to be this showcase of the world's greatest talent to create the most competitive and most exciting league in the world. So, I think that it's a difficult balance to to have. If we were, if the English FA, for example, really wanted to to garner a future of a squad, uh, an an international level squad to the that could rival Spain or Germany in their systems, which we've talked about to build from from the ground up we'd have to start now we wouldn't really expect any change for 10-20 years yeah. if they if they tried to like um, really develop youth talent and give a bit of a bit of bias towards English and British talent and give that precedence in our league um, but obviously Spain and Germany obviously figured that out a long time ago and as a result they've dominated international football for a long time yeah that is interesting uh, when you're trying to weigh up
0: do you want a strong domestic league or do you want to perform well internationally Th- those would yeah. be concerns that y- you would have to weigh up it's not just the case of having the best players it's that in 10 20 years you actually these are players here you have to grow you have to develop these players yeah um, and don't,
1: don't just go out and splash money on the best when they're at their best you know to right. actually invest in development like you say yeah but um yeah that's maybe that's another conversation (laughs) for another time
0: one thing that i thought was interesting looking into it from the political side going into this is we was we've literally just been talking about the the unity that this squad has because they've grown up in spain playing spanish football mostly in in the same league on on the same teams but as a nation at the moment spain is uh Actually, rather divided um, between the majority of of the Spanish country and then Catalonia in the uh, in the northeast of the country. And Catalonia, yeah. Catalonia really is would not appear to be any different to any other part of of Spain, except for it contains Barcelona and it is responsible for a quarter of the the country's economy. Um, And Catalonia is rife with conflict and pro-independence movements. And while that is is bound to have an impact on Spanish politics, it also has a massive impact on Spanish football because FC Barcelona is one of the two biggest teams in Spain. And should Barcelona become independent... They would no longer be able to play in the Spanish leagues, and I. Oh, just, is
1: that is that for certain? This because is something.
0: Uh... This is something I decided to research because I didn't want to make okay. wild accusations, Dave. You know, you know, <laughs> I I don't like to go out there and just throw out wild things like Cristiano Ronaldo is forever cursed by the wink he made at Wayne Rooney. But <laughs> but forgetting that Barcelona is very interesting. FC Barcelona is very interesting in this case because. They are one of the 4,000 signatories of the National Agreement on the Right to Decide and the Referendum Agreement, which means they are they are uh, a group of high-powered political parties and organisations that voted in favour of independence. The Barcelona supporters, at the 17th minute of every game, chant because... 1714 the year 1714 was when catalonia lost its autonomy to spain so in barcelona matches there is a whole minute dedicated to pro independence and even gerard pique who has 98 caps for spain openly supports catalonian
1: independence yeah, he's not the only one. Uh, Pep Guardiola, the Man City manager, got into a bit of trouble for um, refusing not refusing to take off his um, what, I th- what is it, a yellow flower or some kind of yeah, um, the symbol, symbol he, for independence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's wearing it. He wore it on the touchline for much of last season, and even when he was told that he should take it off, he refused, and he was given fines and whatnot. But it, it didn't stop him.
0: Yeah, and this is something that people Catalonians feel very strongly about on both sides it it's the same where the again it is a more often a, a a youth movement the same as with the independence in scotland um that it is driven by a frustration that spain has suffered economically since the 2008 financial crisis with bailouts and catalonia Is such an important part of that country that from the perspective of the people in Barcelona, they are seeing a failing country and seeing their area booming and thinking, well, what are we losing here? Why are why are we propping up a country that would be falling down without us? And Gerard Piquet is one of the as we were saying, is one of the people who is very much in favour of this. There are only three Barcelona players on the Spanish national team. But when Piquet plays, he is jeered and whistled at by Spanish fans from other areas of Spain. Like This is a team that has been built up together, but when they are on the pitch representing Spain... There are those players that would not like to be representing Spain at all. They would like to be representing Catalonia, which is, yeah. uh, which is incredible to think that you you put players on your national team that would rather be playing for a separate country. Which uh, I thought I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, so that's something we've not really seen in world well, football. Since this uh, kind of repetitious breakup of the, uh, the Eastern Bloc with Yugoslavia mm. um, breaking, breaking into Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia-Montenegro, Serbia and Montenegro, which are then subsequently split as well. So we have Serbia and we have Montenegro. So, I mean, it's happened before, but obviously with different historical uh, implications mm. yeah. in, in that part of the world. But yeah, it would be it would be bizarre it would, uh, would be bizarre to see. But it happens it has happened a little bit. Maybe not in terms of a breakaway, but the uh, in the in La Liga, Athletic Bilbao, or I think uh, Bilbao, are they are uh, a Catalonian. City? I'm not sure. I know Espanyol is one
0: of the teams that is in Catalonia. I'm not sure about Bilbao. Yeah.
1: Well, Babao are interesting because um, I think they are Basque. I don't know. If, can you tell me whether Basque and Catalonia are the same thing? Uh, Basque
0: is not part of Catalonia. It's on the oh, north. Okay. It's on the northwest. But there is also a very strong Basque independence movement in both Spain and France. The Basque region kind of straddles the, the south of Spain and, and oh, sorry, really? the, the okay. north of Spain and, and the south
1: of France. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because I know that Athletic Bilbao, don't quote me on whether this is uh, still the case now, but there was a time when they would only ever sign, or or rather the only players that could play for Athletic Bilbao were Basque players. Right. So they would would never sign players from other areas of Spain or from the rest of Europe or the world. It was basically like a a Basque national team playing at club level in La Liga. That is
0: very interesting. And... Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens with Barcelona and in, in this Catalonia movement because the, this resentment has been growing for years. But it it was when last year in in twenty seventeen on October first, the the devolved Catalonia Parliament, the same way that, that Scotland and Wales have their own their own parliaments, Catalonia has devolved powers from the from the, right. from Madrid. This the Parliament of Catalonia. Uh, declared a independence referendum that was not agreed to by madrid so it would be for example if edinburgh just decided to have an independence referendum and didn't tell the rest of the uk about it Hmm. um and obviously then london in westminster they would say well you can't just do that that's not within your powers just to have your own referendum and that is exactly what happened in spain Catalonia they had their own referendum and and Madrid said well that's an illegal referendum it was 90% in favor of independence and wow. there are a lot of factors that go into this for example because the referendum is illegal um those people who uh support Madrid aren't going to turn out to vote in it right if you if you're thinking well th- this referendum doesn't mean anything it's an illegal referendum why am i going to vote in it those are the people who ...want to stay in Spain anyway, who who respect Madrid's authority. But yeah. 90% is still an overwhelming number. So Madrid did what uh, any <laughs> any democratic government that is suddenly losing control of its democracy can do. They sent the police, they sent the military, and they beat protesters. And it was a calamity... To the point wow. where, as
1: you as you do, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. As every every democracy that says it respects freedom does do, it beat its people <laughs> to shit, and uh, then Catalonia, including FC Barcelona, held a national strike and didn't work at, in in protest. And FC Barcelona didn't play a game, and. It, this situation doesn't seem to be getting resolved anytime soon and um, as i was saying i i did look into it and barcelona fc barcelona says that if catalonia was to become independent as they want bear in mind barcelona supports catalonian independence barcelona fc barcelona says that they would remain part of la liga whereas la liga says if that happened the a team from another country can't just join the Spanish National League, right? Like Paris yeah. Saint Germain couldn't just decide to join the Spanish National League because they got bored of the French.
1: What um, about the? There's the example of um, Monaco. Monaco aren't necessarily technically part of France, but they play in the French League. Right. I think that, that,
0: I don't know the specifics of that exactly, but it would, for the Spanish League, they would have to rewrite the law on a national level to include it's not even an FA decision it would have to be a government decision
1: oh, and wow.
0: i very much doubt that the spanish government would want to, <laughs> would want to do the catalonians any favors if they uh if they did just grant their independence so that kind of independence could result in you know the most profitable team in 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 the spanish league the, the perhaps the, the strongest team of of the last few decades just being gone of, be, of being homeless without but it would just be yeah. Barcelona wow. versus Espanyol over and over and <laughs> over again, um, which I thought was of course
1: interesting. Then, yeah, I mean, in that case, all the money that FC Barcelona brings in just to, into the business is be mm. gone. They can't, and then they can't afford to pay their players. And presumably, I mean, I think that with the power of FC Barcelona in the Castellan region, they would have a great amount of sway, or at least some impact on that uh, on that independence referendum. Yeah, they they would be very much involved in any legislation that was included in it, and because Spain can't, Spain as a nation can't afford to lose FC Barcelona. Let alone what we said was it the Catalan region uh, um, brings in a quarter of Spain's economy, yeah. or is it just Barcelona, the city?
0: I think it's the area in general, but the area includes Barcelona. It's like it's the, it's the uh,
1: number one tourist
0: attraction. You know, it's yeah, uh, people course, yeah, from so... all over the world go to Barcelona and Catalonia as an extension of that.
1: Yeah, just for the for the architecture and for the city of, of culture that it is. But then I wonder how much of that quarter of Spain's economy is entirely reliant on Barcelona as a football club.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's got to be fairly sizable. But if it, looking at the uh, the national team, uh, of all of the um, of all the players called up for this World Cup for for the Spanish national team, only three are from Barcelona.
1: So oh, I count would- four. Oh, you can for what? PK, Jordi Alba, Iniesta, and Busquets. I think Busquets did have an injury, but he should be fine to to play. Ah, see, I'm looking at Iniesta, and it says uh, he just signed for Japan. Iniesta moved to a Japanese club. Yeah, he's
0: just. Oh, but that that's very recent, right? So that's just that happened. Is, so yeah. obviously he yeah, is g- he is going to be influenced by by all of this. Yeah. He was there. He was there. there to see all of this happen. But it is a that's shame. Right, yeah. It is a shame for the Spanish national team that the players from this disruptive area happen to be their most experienced, their, their leading players. You've got... You know, Piquets were saying nearing 100 caps. Iniesta is their vice captain. Sergio Biscuits. Like, the, <laughs> the, the, the Jordi Alba. Like, these are important players that uh, they can't afford to, to lose, kind of despite that, uh, that conflicting sense of national identity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder... If you go back to that golden generation of the Spanish team when they won those three tournaments on the bounce, um, how many, how, how big a portion of that squad were Barcelona players then? Yeah. When, um, I mean Xavi obviously was still being included. He was he was a bit younger then. He's since retired from the national setup, but um, it'd be interesting to have a look actually about um mm. whether the, the the most important contingent of that um of that squad was Barcelona, and obviously Real Madrid have their strong influences too with Sergio Ramos. Um, amongst others but I think uh, maybe as a, a bit like how the Spanish team themselves have fought just, just on the uh, the other end of that golden generation. If you're looking at the Barcelona squad in terms of the Spanish contingent in that squad, maybe that's the case too. I, I mean they did win the La Liga this season but how much of that is down to Ar- uh, Argentinians such as Lionel Messi and Uruguayans such as um, the guy who bites people, his name? Su- Luis Suarez <laughs> <laughs> and Chomp, then, Chompy
0: McChomp face, I think, is is, yeah, is colloquially known.
1: I think he has that on the back of his shirt. <laughs> um, and yeah, and Felipe Coutinho was was a, a strong had a strong season, and he's Brazilian, so mm. maybe there isn't um, as much of Spain in the Barcelona football team as anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that that is uh, that is a really interesting analysis. I mean,
1: I'm interested
0: to see where this goes because. There's something about a national unity that really does hold a team together, especially on a stage like this. And it was interesting earlier on. I was I was watching an interview with uh, with Pepe, the Portuguese Portuguese defender, who I think he's just moved to Besiktas, or recently he moved to moved to Besiktas. And um, it was a, an interview about that and how he was feeling moving uh, moving to Turkey and um, how he felt about the the Portuguese national team. And the one thing that he mentioned in that interview was, "We are united here, right? Like that—that that was what he was saying. Say, as a Portuguese team, uh, we've we've never been more united than we are right now. And that was the big point that he was making going forward: is that Portugal, for uh, for whatever has happened in the past, you know, they're coming off the back of the Euro win. As you say, they have a clear sense of where they are going, and." I mean, this is this surely this is uh, Pepe's last World Cup for sure. He's he's thirty five now. Ronaldo, yeah, you'd imagine so. Cristiano Ronaldo is thirty three. So this, if we're talking about a Portuguese golden generation, I think it very much has been happening around the same time as uh, as as the
1: Spanish one. Do yeah, you the think anything has have been been overshadowed by the Spanish one?
0: Yeah, but, but do you do you think po- they've got it? They've got it in them to. To get one
1: over on the Spanish here, I think that's a, v- a very interesting question. Um, as we've said, Spain maybe aren't um, as strong as they have been uh, in in the uh, earlier on in, the, in this 21st century. And like you say, Ronaldo is nearing nearing. He's, I think he's going to turn 34 soon. This will probably be his last World Cup. And the 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 back line of Portugal that took them all the way to to the uh, to Euro 16 glory. Pepe, Bruno Alves, and Jose Font. They have a combined age of of 100 (laughs) between three players. So they have a lot of experience, at least around Europe, with their squad. And there are other players like Ricardo Coresma, who's done his bit. I think he plays in Turkey uh, as well now. Uh, Jean Moutinho in the centre of midfield. He's another very experienced player. But um, I, as well, they do have some exciting talent in their squad. I mean, Andre Silva... Um, he's a twenty-three-year-old striker. He's he played for Milan last year I and mean, it wasn't particularly um he was a little bit disappointing um considering his his calibre, but he always seemed to turn it on when he got up when he got called up to that to that United, as Pepe would would say, uh yeah. Egyptian uh sorry, Egyptian, uh Portuguese team. And he scored nine goals in in qualifying, considering he was not really playing for him and at least not scoring for Milan right. in that same time. So there are I think there are elements of their squad that have more pride in their nation and playing for their nation, um, than maybe, maybe other other countries would do, um, but they, I think you're right about them. They probably feel that they do have a great idea about what direction they're going in and a great idea of their of their system and of their of their best eleven. Um, I mean, under under their manager Fernando Santos, he's been in charge for about four years now, and they've won sixteen out of seventeen co- competitive qualifiers in that time, and. In total of the twenty nine games that he's ever seen, they've only lost once. So that I mean that's a pretty impressive record. Where whichever way you shake it, yeah. Um, especially when I think that probably includes friendlies and you know friendlies you don't tend to worry about winning or losing. But still, they've they've won all but one. Uh, sorry, maybe they've won all their friendlies if that means that they lost their one of those those qualifiers. Um, but it seems that with Ronaldo, um, obviously there's an infinite debate about. Whether he or Messi is the greatest um, in the world, and maybe even of all time, and it's no stretch to say that he was a massive part of their um, their fairly smooth qualification process. And same goes with Portugal. Goes with um, Real Madrid. Ronaldo, he can be anonymous for eighty minutes, and then he can score worldies, or he can entirely run a game and terrify and and dismantle any defence in front of him right um, I mean in, in qualifying he scored 15 goals in only 9 games <laughs>
0: which it, included, it's, it's ridiculous which
1: included right? uh, which included 2 hat-tricks and, right. and that, that was a massive contributor to him the Portugal winning 9 out of their 10 qualifying games for this tournament um, you just, but then you just wonder where their frailties lie uh, in, in, the, in their warm-ups they lost to Holland 3-0 and as we know Holland didn't even qualify for the tournament mm. Uh, they did beat Bel- uh, Egypt and they drew respectively with Belgium which would also have a strong team. Um, but coming off the back of that Euro 16 win they're going to have a lot of confidence I feel. And I mean I'm sure anyone walking out onto the pitch um, with Cristiano Ronaldo at your head wearing the captain's armband is going give to give you an awful lot of confidence. Um, I think it's a diff- difficult one to call. With Spain's uh, Spain's implosion in the group stages in 2014 in the last World Cup, you just don't really know which Spanish team is going to show up, and I think you could say the same thing for Portugal. So, as well as much as I think they will comfortably qualify, Morocco and Iran, I think are going to have much to to, uh, offer either of them. Um, The match between the two of them it could either be a goals fest or a boring draw. Mm. And I, I couldn't put, I wouldn't put money on a one over the other. Well,
0: let's that's, that's imagine right now that you, that you are Portugal in, in this situation. As you're saying, you're, you know, you're filled with confidence, but you're looking at your, your back three going, you know, maybe we're, uh, you know, we're, we're getting on a little bit. for This situation. you know, 34, what an old man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But so that that first match with Spain has got has to be you know fairly intimidating because that's going to set the tone for the rest of the tournament, right? Like your opening match always sets the pace. Okay, if you you start with a win, you feel confident going forward into the tournament. If you get decimated in your first match, that's got to affect you.
1: I think yeah, normally I'd say that's true. But when you're the the clear favourites to go to be one and two in the group and you're playing each other first. You've probably got to think well. Even if we don't win this, we'll win our next two and give us a great chance of going through. All right. So I think oh, you might have uh, intimated at this before, but I think whoever wins between Spain and Portugal in that first um, that first game will probably top the group.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've got to be favourites to, to top the group there, but um, again, in any normal situation, I would be thinking that the, the Spain's got this in the bag, well, closely anyway. Like it might be close, but I think you know, you're again you're looking at, at Ronaldo, but the Spanish defense plays against Ronaldo at least four times a year, right? Most of them play with him. Like these are people that know how to shut him down because they shut him down in training every week. But then saying that Spain just lost their manager. <laughs> like yeah. like it, it, two it, days it ago. This-
1: this completely inexplicable variable has just been thrown into the equation, and now nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, if we weren't already excited enough about the World Cup, and the, it's starting today at time of recording, I'm looking in about four hours. The yeah. opening ceremony will start, um, and I'm looking forward to that. But then to have tomorrow having that game to look forward to, Portugal versus Spain, with all of this. Um, tumultuous back- stuff going on in the background. Uh, it's it's brilliant. I mean, if this was been written by a screenwriter, that would have been an amazing twist. It would. It definitely would. Okay, well, and, oh. Talking talking about
0: um, exciting twists that that shake uh, that shake the world to its very core. Um, Obviously, America pulled out of the nuclear deal with Iran recently, and that might seem like uh, a fairly Swift change from from the Spanish uh, the Spanish Excellent manager segue. being, being class segue. Thank That's you, thank you. But of course, Iran is part of this group, um, and you know you might be thinking, "Oh, Dom, how are you going to tie the destruction of the Iran nuclear deal into the World Cup?" Well, firstly, listener, I I hope you would have a little more faith in me than that.
1: Because <laughs> I certainly do.
0: thank you, because one of the the most important things about the Iran, the nuclear deal, was that there was the agreement between America and Iran that if Iran uh, slowed down its enrichment of uh, nuclear material and uh, made no attempts towards uh, nuclear weapons, that America would lift its incredible trade. Uh, tariffs that had been placed on Iran for years and years and years. And this was one of the major reasons that Iran agreed, because it was being economically stifled by America to a point where it was almost forced into compliance. Now, there are um, right-wing Americans who will disagree with that and say America should have been doing more um, to try and slow Iran down, and that Obama gave too much uh, away to Iran in this case. But um, Obama's Administration, the EU, various different trading nations uh, were in favour of opening Iran's economy to the world and, you know, making it a profitable country again. That is until last month, where Donald Trump decided that, uh, you know, it would be a great idea to cancel this, this uh, treaty that stopped Iran from blowing us all to kingdom come and... Uh, slap those trade tariffs back on, and we have seen those trade tariffs come into full effect over the last couple of days, where Nike has barred Iran footballers from wearing Nike shoes because Nike is an American company, Iran is Iran, and as <laughs> as an American company, Nike is no longer able to supply Iran with football boots. Because of Trump's t- uh, trade tariffs,
1: now wow. so, Trump's reach really knows no bounds. When he stops Iranian footballers wearing this particular brand of boots at a World Cup in Russia,
0: I, it's it's an, a ridiculous shutdown right now. You would think, okay, the Iranian national team, you know, they could just go to the nearest Sports Direct in Moscow and pick up some new boots. But this is, you know, the sponsorship deals and and this kind of thing is a big part of. Or football, and a big part of FIFA as well. FIFA uh, play a huge role in, in sponsorship, what teams are allowed to wear, what teams are allowed to do. The amount yeah. of money that FIFA makes off of sponsorship in the World Cup is huge. So one country not being able to wear a major sponsors that, that is, has a massive effect on FIFA. And the Iranian FA is fuming about this. As, as you can imagine, they are furious because uh fifa has a a big problem with when you uh enact political motivations uh during a footballing arena such as when you were saying earlier was it was it uh, pep guardiola when he wore the yes. catalonia thing because he wore a symbol of that uh, the showcases political feelings he was fined for that um last year i think it was during uh, Remembrance Day in the UK, where we traditionally wear uh, a poppy to to remember fallen soldiers that, that have died in the wars in the previous century, that was shown as... Uh, that was suggested to be a political statement, and therefore the FA said, well, you can't do that. But people did anyway, and they just got fined for it. While well, in this case, Nike, which is a, a, an FA sponsor, is refusing... To give a national team the clothes, the boots that they are supposed to give them because of a political situation, which should go against the F.A.'s rules. And Iran, as you can imagine, Iran is uh, is no stranger to <laughs> to uh, political problems. Um, Iran, for example, refuses to play Israel. Um, and uh, let me find hmm. their names. I have their names here somewhere. Uh, Iran banned two of their midfielders, Masoud Sojai and uh, Esan Hajewski. Sorry, apologies there for horrible mispronunciations. But they barred these two midfielders from ever playing for the national team again because their Greek uh, club played an Israeli club and those Iranian players agreed to play in that match. Wow. So the Iranian F.A. is highly political and is always getting in trouble for it. And they are pointing out now what they see as uh, a kind of uh, hypocrisy on, on FIFA's part for not, uh, for not saying to Nike, uh, hello. <laughs> right. like, yeah, like, yeah. like, you have to supply us with the equipment you are supposed to supply us. Just because of politics, you you uh, you can't pull out of that. But FIFA have have come forward and say that Nike is a private company. They are not uh, they are as a they are not a nation that is included in FIFA. Therefore, they are not bound by its regulations. Um, you know, this is the politics of trade rather than political interference in sport. Therefore, uh, you know, suck it around. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> but this is in you know. I don't know much about the Iranian national team. All I know is I saw something about them the other day where they are all ridiculously handsome.
1: Oh, are they?
0: They are the most beautiful people that I have ever (laughs) seen in my life. I am looking at the Iranian national team and thinking... So, uh, so where do you guys play? Because uh, I'm thinking of swapping allegiances here. Maybe <laughs> it might not be enough for me to portray to my country. That's not what, quite as far as, I, uh, as I'm ready to go just yet. But they are good-looking guys. But other than being good-looking, really, really good-looking, as Zoolander might say, like, <laughs> what kind of a chance do they stand in a group w- with Spain and Portugal, right? Like, their first matches against Morocco... Who is the favourite in that?
1: That, my friend, is a solid question. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, I think it's, it's difficult to call. It's a strange group in that you could almost draw a line down the middle of it and say Portugal and Spain on one side, either first or second, and then Morocco and Iran on the other side, either third or fourth. And you can mix and match, but they won't really cross that line. Um, sadly, what is what is inter- interesting about the Iranian team, and I will explain why I'm kind of edging for Iran to finish third and Morocco to finish fourth. Okay. Um, one one reason is that Iran are managed by Carlos Quiros, who used to was assistant manager to Alex Ferguson at Man United, and then went on to manage Real Madrid and the Portuguese national team. Right. So it's interesting that they've been drawn in the same group, and while it will come down to whether the Iranian players can implement. Any system that Kieros designs to stop Portugal and whether they can actually do that, whether they've got the quality or not to do it, he's at least got an advantage in that he has some sort of inside track. Um, so they have that, which Morocco don't. I don't see any way Morocco can get anything against Portugal or Spain, but if for Iran, say, can maybe scrape an, un- an unlikely draw um, with Portugal, meaning Portugal finished second and R- Iran finished third, I think they'd probably take that as success considering they they were at the last World Cup um, in 2014 uh, this is actually the first time they've ever qualified for two World Cups in a row but uh, yeah. at that World Cup in Brazil in 2014 they only managed to score once and that's against Bosnia and Herzegovina so they, they've got some thing to approve to themselves that as well as, as much as they can um, qualify well now and it seems in this, in this spell of the last eight to ten years I mean they beat South Korea and China and Qatar on the way here and they do have They're some right. exciting players um, they have there's a they have um, a four player called Sardar Azmoon who is referred to as the Iranian Messi <laughs> so have, what, a wireless, what, what a title what a title like, no pressure to live up to whatsoever I'm sure yeah. he'll be fine um he has does have 22 goals for Iran and he plays he plays his trade in Russia for Rubin Kazan so okay. he's, he he might he might feel almost like he's a little bit at home uh, playing in the world cup in in um in Russia um Another player I'll I'll point out um, is another one who's got experience in um, in European football It's Ali Reza Jahan Bach, who's a winger who plays for Holland for AZ Alkmaar, and he's he's had a um, come off of a very good season where he was a top scorer in the Dutch league, 21 goals. He got 12 assists that season, um, and he's got 34 goals um, in 85 games for for Alkmaar. So he's obviously can perform at a decent level. Um, so while they may struggle to stop Spain and Portugal conceding. They may be able to get some goals. Okay. Um, which I, I think Morocco may struggle with.
0: I would uh, just like to, to add a quick uh, addendum to, to my, my previous point about the life bans, because I thought I'd better just double-check that. Uh, the, the, the two players that I, that I mentioned, Masoud Shojai, he is the captain of Iran. Right, so oh, uh, really? that yeah, so uh and well, the, the the <laughs> other player as well, uhstan Hajeski uh a Jeff Hajas, sorry. Um <laughs> they they have both been re included uh into the national team. This life this uh life ban against them seem to have been uh seems to have yeah it's in the case of being reviewed very conveniently in time for the world cup right so like
1: so they are included in the squad
0: they they were banned then an appeal yeah. was launched and while the appeal is launched they can play internationally now it is very convenient that the appeal happens to be happening while the world cup is on um masood is Masoud is the captain of the team he's 34 you know if he, they they decide to throw the, uh, the 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 life ban back on him after the World Cup, this is his last one, anyway. But yeah. um, but again, these are the players, as you're saying, with uh, with European experience. They both play for Greek teams. Hajasfi uh, plays for Olympiakos, and uh, Masoud plays for AEK Athens. So, like the you know, while the Iranians aren't quite on the same level club wise as your Spanish or or your Portuguese, they're still playing at a fairly high. At a fairly high level, they're still playing European football, which is, you know.
1: Yeah, they're, they're probably appearing in, maybe not Champions Leagues, but um, European Cups.
0: Yeah. So what do you know about the Moroccans?
1: Um, a little bit. I mean, I think I'll start by saying that they have some calibre in their management. They're managed by a Frenchman called Herve Renard. And uh, he has got some pedigree in international tournaments. He's won the African Cup of Nations twice with two different countries. He um, led Zambia to the the trophy in twenty twelve, and then three years later did the same with Ivory Coast. So I think he will have definitely have a good uh, a good set of experiences when it comes to tournament football. Mm. But um, they have they're not overly well represented themselves in uh, in World Cup history. This is their first World Cup in twenty years. Oh wow! Um, so they've struggled to even reach one. Um, and if you're looking at their squad. Their key man probably is Medi Banasia, the centre half plays for Juventus. He's a very strong player and he'll be organizing things, um, organizing things from the back there. But if you're looking at any threat they may offer to um to other teams, uh they've got an exciting striker called Ayub El Kabi, who scored 10 goals and in eight international appearances since he made it since making his debut in January. So he's really oh. hit the ground running. He's firing right now. Yeah. But I think you can't you uh, Especially in a group with Portugal and Spain, you can't progress with a good centre half and one good striker.
0: I, again, looking at the, uh, the the their recent fixtures, you know, like as you were saying, this this player is is done ridiculously well. But the teams they're they've been playing against. You know, we're talking Serbia, which is you know that's uh, that's a fair game, I guess. But then no, no, Uzbac- Serbia
1: are strong, I think. Uh... Yeah,
0: but then Uzbekistan, you know, then they beat Estonia three one, like. You know, a, a win's a win. And they were in Estonia, t- to be fair to them. But, you know, it's not Spain. It's not Portugal. And, you know, you look at the comparative fixtures. You know, Spain just beat Argentina 6-1. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, if we're talking about the kind of form that, that... Even the the form that these
1: teams are on. Like, yeah, Morocco, they, they've been scoring some goals. But... But they're also... They didn't lose any of their five warm-up games. I know there's yeah. maybe those weren't particularly strong opponents, besides Serbia, which I mean, I, I will say that's an impressive win against um, a Serbia team that are are fair are fairly strong. They got some good some good quality, but they didn't lose. Um, in Ukraine is another difficult opponent that which they drew nil nil with. Yeah. Um, so it, I guess every every nation is going to do their warm ups differently. Uh, for you know, for example, in um, England because they've got Panama in their group, they played Costa Rica, and they wanting to sort of match up that kind of style of football. Um, like, as you've said none of those five opponents that Morocco have played however are particularly Spain or Portugal like mm. yeah just taking a quick look at uh, Iran's
0: previous fixtures as well they've, they've played actually some, some fairly similar teams Get, perhaps getting re- uh, preparing for Morocco they played Algeria and Tunisia like, yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about the world of you know North, uh, North African football
1: yeah. They're pretty much That's getting the ready for week this as well. those games are four days apart
0: yeah, so yeah. They, they yeah. lost to
1: Tunisia and then four days later went and won um, against Algeria. But then Turkey, the, the following fixture, that's again quite similar. They're on that same uh, same North African. Uh, that's a kind of Arabic style of football. I, yeah, I would yeah, expect. exactly. But
0: it, it, it's interesting that you were saying about England playing Costa Rica to get ready for Panama. Is that right? Then yeah. it if we're looking at how Iran is preparing. It seems like what Iran has done is gone, look, in this group, the only team we stand a chance of beating is Morocco, right? Maybe we get lucky and everyone else yeah. draws all their matches. And if, but if we beat Morocco, then maybe we can stand a chance of just getting something out of this. We want to win one match. So all they have done is play teams like Morocco so that when it yeah. comes down to... Maybe this is the the key that we're missing here is that Iran really wants this match. And whereas, you know, Morocco haven't been going around playing, I don't know, Syria and Iraq and you know, the yeah. countries, that border Iran. Whereas Iran is getting seriously prepared for this one match and it doesn't matter what else happens in the World Cup.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Well spotted. Yeah, that's a, it's a good pattern. And that, that seems to me that the most likely explanation is, is just that. <laughs>
0: We're going we're gonna to win something, boys. We're going to win something. Then they can go home to their, their, I imagine, beautiful wives and live their beautiful lives because they're so fucking handsome. <laughs> but I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous of,
1: of their wives much. Yeah, maybe uh, Iranian wives isn't the safest topic of conversation. But <laughs> well, maybe this is the perfect time to. Uh, Who knows who's to- listening? yeah yeah
0: that's very true i was speaking it into into my computer in china the chinese government is definitely listening anyway yeah so uh,
1: all the all the buzzwords they've the amount of times you said iran and russia into your computer in the last, yeah, days, so I, I, the last two days the last two days
0: yeah the last two days i've spoken about russian assassinations saudi assassinations the iranian nuclear deal and the Moroccan national football team. So <laughs> the, Chinese, the Chinese government, as they're eavesdropping on me, must be pretty... You're, you're on a watch list, no doubt. Your face is on a wall in some government building in China somewhere. But that is perfect for our podcast, which is called Who Watches the World Cup, as a reference to Who Watches the Watchmen so
1: wow how you, did that come around full circle you, magic you know
0: this is what we're saying about the the segue man we've got that we've got <laughs> that segue nailed down i think this is the perfect time to uh, to come to an end on on this discussion so we're okay, yeah. looking looking at uh, a group b you know uh, again it's what happens in this this portugal spain match we, we have to pick someone who do you think is going to be
1: uh, to go through top Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to say that despite being able to, that I think in terms of the strength in squad Spain were able to leave out Avar Morata and Cesc Fabregas and still have a very strong squad um, so I'm going to go Spain first followed by Portugal and I will even go as to say maybe more out of hope around third, Morocco, fourth
0: oh that's bold that is bald yeah, i think I think Iran is, is oh no, so I was going to say I think Iran will beat Morocco, but Morocco will come above them in the table, but in the same way that, as we were saying before, the same way that Portugal Spain will decide the top spot, the Morocco Iran match has to has to decide the bottom spot is, is yeah, you, you
1: would think so, yeah, yeah, and especially um, I'd like to see how Iran do and whether they look positive and organized enough that. Maybe with the Colos-Quarros element, they can um, put a bit of a, some, some uh, shackles on on Portugal and Ronaldo in particular and see if they can come out with something respectable from that one.
0: Well, even if they don't look organised, they're going to look fucking gorgeous while they do
1: I mean, shall we have a quick look at what the Iranian World Cup kit looks like and see how Just just imagine... <laughs> them, uh, <laughs> no no out. no we can't we, we, have, we have to build the suspense for but
0: i hope the the listeners can enjoy the Iranian national team uh, yes. as much as i do so uh,
1: please please that... go and have a look at their their, their squad photo and uh and see what and, <laughs> see what you think
0: and dream and and allow
1: yourself yeah. to dream
0: yeah thank you for for joining us on on the the second uh episode of of who watches the world cup next time Well, next time is going to be a bit of a blitz episode, actually, because as you you know, dear listener, this is a a blend of both footballing prowess and uh, political skill. And there are an awful lot of the groups where there is no interesting political rivalries. Um. Or I mean, who drew, who drew these
1: groups? Honestly, they could have made it a bit more interesting, right?
0: You know what? They, they could have done. And also, uh, looking at uh, looking at them, for example, we have uh, France in Group C, we have uh, Argentina in Group D, Brazil uh, in Group E. Like these are ones that we you know we can take a pretty fair guess that they're going to be uh, going to be going forth. And we don't want to be talking about them three or four times in a row, so. What we're going to do uh, the next episode will be a, a, a bit of a blitz to go through all of these different groups, pull out some little political tidbits where we can compare them uh, more on, on their footballing skill. To think, you know, who is going to make it? Is it going to be Argentina or is it going to be Iceland? You know, <laughs> you know, big, big questions I, like that. You know, th- those are the kind of things that uh, yeah that we're, we're going to be looking to uh, looking to decide on the next episode. So thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Tiddleoo!